Well, good morning. It's, it's been so long since I've been up here, I forgot about the little bumper uh, trailer video thing. How life works. We're still in James. Um, how are you doing? We're good? All right. You just said that like it was a bad thing. We're still in James. No, I, I realized, and then I tried to recover, and apparently... I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. We're in James uh, chapter 5, and it's a good thing we're in the book of James. It's convicting, that's what... Uh, that's, yes. That's what it is, right? It is. This book has been deeply convicting. We've been moving through this book for the, since the beginning of the semester, basically, and walking through this. So we're excited. This week, we, uh, we'll be here and... Uh, finish next week. Finish next week in the book of James. That's... So. Lord willing. Yeah. If we've learned anything from James. Yes. We say Lord willing. <laughs> Thank you, Noah, for laughing. Yes. Appreciate that. I'm Vic. Uh, this is Joel. And for those of you who don't know, this is the lovely and talented Kyle Wade joining us on stage. Wow. You brought the fan club today. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I, have to, I have to say happy birthday to Kate Mixon today. <laughs> It's, it's, uh, Happy birthday. It's Wadi's very own Disney princess. <laughs> and that's a good segue into this question. Yes. Kate, it's your birthday. What are you looking forward to? You don't have to answer out loud. I mean, you can. But, yeah, you can. <laughs> Another, year Another year of life. Another year of life. Just think about, wait, what, at least one more? <laughs> Lord willing. Lord willing. What, uh, think about, right now, think about something you're looking forward to. Now, you don't have to share, but uh, I wonder what came to your mind. Sweet potato casserole. Wait, what? <laughs> I was about to ask you, it just came out. Wow. I was, I was thinking nap. Anybody else? Somebody. Somebody else said, yeah. What? Uh, sometimes. I was what, thinking Thanksgiving. That's why I said that. Wow. You're a little further out than me. Yeah. I'm, as, I'm about 2, 2, 2 p.m. <laughs> That's where I am. Um, but uh, today, uh, we're going to look at a text. Our focus is going to be verses 7 through 11 uh, in, in chapter 5. Uh, but we're going to talk about this idea of what we're looking forward to and how it can reveal uh, really what's uh, shaping our emotions and our heart. And so uh, before we uh, dive into that, I want to read our text and then pray for us. Uh, so James chapter 5, we're going to read the first uh, six verses just to give some context here. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
You have lived on this earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray now, Holy Spirit, you would do the work through your word that only you can do. For the name and the fame of King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's go. We're in, uh, when you look at those two sections in James 5 here, uh, at least in my Bible, they're divided into two sections, verses 1 through 6 and then 7 through 12. You, you might be wondering, okay, so how, how does this work together? Verse 1 of chapter 5, James says, come now, you rich. And if you were with us when we covered this chapter, we we brought out this idea that James more than likely isn't talking to those inside the church because the people who are inside the church, most of them are poor. And that's the point of verses seven through 11. So he's talking to the rich and he's speaking out prophetically, much like the Old Testament prophets who would look around at the landscape around them as God called them to speak out. And they would speak out oftentimes against those who were oppressing. And that is the rich here in this, in this context in the first century Jerusalem. And he says, you rich, you need to weep and howl. Strong words, a strong rebuke for those who are oppressing the people of God. And so here's where you might be a little surprised when you think about it. If you've had people who've ever done wrong things against you or even consist on a consistent basis in which you have somehow been oppressed... The answer is not to respond angrily. The answer is not to start an uprising. The answer in this, from this instruction from James is to know this, that the Lord has heard you. Look at verse four. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. So we're, we're to know that the Lord has heard and that he's not just heard, but that he's powerful. He's the Lord of hosts. That means when you think about God, we think about him in his heavenly state with all the thousands and thousands of angels around him. And this God can do anything. And so when he hears the cries of his people, here's what we're told to do in verse seven, be patient. Therefore, there's that connection. Therefore, in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of things not going our way, we are to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Yeah, there really is a clear distinction between the rich he's talking to and then the church. 
And I think the reason it's important we read this first before getting into the patience passage is because it really is a stern warning. Weep and howl, you. Judgment's coming. You're going to be repaid for what you've done to these poor people. And then that subtle turn to his people, Mm -hmm. and he says, but you be comforted. So it's it's a warning and then a comfort. It's it's important to realize how stern and terrifying that warning is because that's part of the comfort. He says, because judgment's coming to them, be patient. Don't you think we need to look at where we fall into these categories? What do you guys think? Oh, yeah. I, I, there, uh, Are we automatically <laughs> one of these, or do we need to evaluate that? I, I think you should always evaluate. And I think uh, Jonathan Edwards said the, the Bible has a lot of passages that give comfort and hope, but it also has a lot of passages that give terror. Mm. Uh, he said it's like a seesaw and that uh, the, sometimes some of these verses will cause the teeter to go in a direction you don't want it to. <laughs> and it's because the Lord wants us to examine our heart and see where we are. We talked about this early in James, but the reality that uh, unlike our culture that we live in, the Bible has no problem putting people into categories. Yeah. And really there are two categories of people uh, wise and unwise, yeah. uh, righteous, unrighteous, and, and the Bible gives pretty clear distinctions of those, and, and this text is no different. So certainly, yeah. as, as we work through this, it's good to examine your heart and see where you are uh, in regards to those two groups of people. Uh, you, you would think coming out of uh, verses 1 through 7, there would be some sort of... Uh, Something other than be patient. Mm, yeah. Right? It's, uh, we're suffering. Yeah. Right? Patience does not seem like the thing I would want to hear. Um, but it is uh, what James says to his congregation, and he's really coming full circle from where he started at the beginning. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Uh, so there is a reason we need to be patient. James says, look, I know you're suffering. I know persecution is on you. Uh, it looks unbearable, but you need to be patient. And, and so probably they're asking patient for how long? Until the coming of the Lord. Because the king has heard your cries. That's what he tells us. Joel just pointed that out in verse 4. He has heard your cries and he's coming. And when he comes, he's going to judge the wicked and vindicate the righteous. So be patient until then. And then he gives an illustration. Be patient like the farmer. Uh, Be patient, by the way, does not mean to be passive. Yeah. That's important to look at the, what we mean by patient, or what rather what James means by patient. Uh, and I think we get a better picture of it through the illustrations he uses. He uses three illustrations. Did you catch that? We have the farmer, and then he mentions the prophets, and then he mentions Job. So in those three illustrations, we get a picture of what someone's life who's in the middle of hardship and, and, and uh, difficulties, what it looks like them for them to be patient and to remain steadfast. And in these three pictures, the first of which we have the farmer. And so the farmer, when he is, uh, you know, preparing for harvest, uh, he plants, um, he waits, uh, he tends, 
and then you know he harvests. And so in all of that, the, the, the farmer's working. It's not just sitting back. I mean, because I think that's how we'd often think of what patience is. Patience <laughs> is like, okay, just, just wait, like literally wait. But patience can be active. And in this case, I definitely think he's prescribing that. In fact, I would say it encourages more activity. My mic's on now, isn't it? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, encourages more activity. Like, ask any farmer, uh, the crop's coming, so does that mean just wait and do no work? It's like, no, they're, they're preparing because they know it's coming. They're working because they know it's coming. So it's not encouraging passivity, it's encouraging activity. Mm-hmm. The guys I know that are farmers that, are, that, that work in some kind of field are the hardest working people I know. And, and this, uh, so the idea of, of being patient carries with it uh, the, some work. Um, and, and he, you're, gonna, you're about to say something. Well, yeah, because, uh, so it's important that you know that you're working. So when, when we're told to be patient, then uh, it's, again, it's active, but it's also in knowing that we aren't accomplishing our own salvation in this. Right, right. So in Deuteronomy 11, it uh, you got to flip back there and find one of those books that sometimes gets dusty in your Bible. Uh, but there's a reference that's very similar, um, and he says this in Deuteronomy 11. God is speaking to Moses. He says, "And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul." He will give the rain for your land in its season, Hmm. the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And so uh, that's the point there that he makes is uh, our relationship with God matters in this uh, waiting and this being patient and knowing that it is active, but at the same time, it's it's God is the one who brings the rain. Uh, so it's, it's like both things are happening there, I think. Yeah, and some of, the, some of the work we're supposed to do, he gives us in the next verse. Establish your heart. Right. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. There, there's the encouragement again. The king's coming, mm-hmm. so establish your heart. What, is it, what exactly does he mean by that phrase, establish your heart? We'll say to get to that, uh, again, with the, what Joel was reading in Deuteronomy with the early and late rains, most places in Scripture that talk about the early and late rains are referring to the Lord's going to be faithful. He's going to satisfy you. Yeah. So with the farmer, and even in our day and age, there's an expectation. If you're, uh. A farmer's not going to complain in December that his crop's not in. You know, like mm-hmm. he, he, he or she knows that it's coming later. It's after the rain. It's in the season of harvest. So there's, there's this expectation, this activity, and they know, and there's some maturity to knowing it's coming. Like it's not time. You don't, again, you don't throw your hands up when you know it's not over. Uh, and, and so some of that is what it means to establish your heart, this, this resolute, I, I'm going to believe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to keep plowing. Yes. I'm, I'm going to keep plowing. That's probably a good way to put it. Yeah. In fact, when I first read through this passage, I kind of skipped over that part, but this is a pretty firm um, command here for us right here to, to establish your hearts. And, and what he means there is, uh, you can look at that word, how it's used in several other places in scripture, and it's a strong, determined, just fixated, sort of uh, set your hearts, establish your hearts. You are so set on something. In Luke 9.51, it says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. 
Uh, Jesus knew that there would be a day where he would go to the cross, he would go to Jerusalem, they would crucify him there, and yet he still set his face. He was determined. And as you read through the narrative of Luke, you watch as the story unfolds that Jesus is moving that direction. His, His focus never leaves where he's going to the cross for us. And in the same way, it's this determination on our parts to know that that we're going to actively be moving forward again in our relationship with God, even with these hard things that are happening around us, but that ultimately uh, God is the one in control and at work around us. And, and it comes with another little warning there, don't grumble. Um, it, it seems like James is always talking about our words. Yeah. Don't grumble. I mean, don't if... grumble against one another, brothers. And, and it's in the context of suffering, and Joel, you and I talked about this week. So when, when you face any kind of trial or hardship, the, the tendency is to grumble with people closest to you. And we talked about getting lost yeah. in the car. And uh, it, Cynthia can attest to this. She's in the room, so you can ask her. <laughs> if, if we get lost and I'm driving, it, I get a little agitated. And, and, and it, somehow it's her fault. Right. Always. Whoever's uh, in the car with I you. think I just heard her laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but even, it doesn't matter. Now, that, now it's the GPS's fault. So I have, or, the, or, or Siri or whoever it is trying to give me directions. Or whoever designed those roads. Yeah, whoever, <laughs> the roads, yes. This isn't the right turn. Yeah. And, but it's. Who moved the sign? It just comes out of us, right? When we face, and that's, that's a kind of a silly Example, but think about it. When you, anytime pressure comes into your life, it's so easy to lean into grumbling. And James knows that, and so he's saying, don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you won't be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And, And James is given this warning because he's already warned us about the tongue and about how it's, it's a, sign of what's in your heart is this is how you use your words and how you respond in pressure and in certain situations and so James is saying look this is it's like the red warning light on the engine Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're grumbling then probably something's going on in your heart that you need to you need to check you can't, I mean, if you read through James, you go back to chapter three and uh, he's constantly uh, addressing our tongue. Uh, it's, it's in basically every passage, it's what we're declaring out loud with our mouth. It's who and how we're speaking to each other. It's such a big deal. Like, so it's like you get to chapter five, we're wrapping up the book. In case you missed this, don't grumble. Like, yeah. like your, your words, again, we talked about this when we talked about words, your words are a reflection of what's happening in your heart. And so uh, if, if you're grumbling, uh, then that means that what you're longing for is different than Jesus. Mm. That's the point we're, we're trying to make this morning, that uh, in hard situations, our longing should be for Jesus, and that will come out in just very practical ways, and, and this is just one of them. Yeah. So then he moves on to his second example. Um, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remember 
who remain steadfast. Mm-hmm. Now, you think about the prophets, right? Uh, long list of guys, you could pick anybody, um, if, but let's, this morning, just for the sake of brevity, because there's quite a few of them, let's take Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah is an interesting cat. He wrote Jeremiah and Lamentations, and um, here's Jeremiah's resume. The Lord calls him and tells him, oh, you're going to preach for 40 years and no one's going to believe, right? And so uh, everyone curses him. His own people turn against him. He's thrown in stocks. Mm -hmm. He's thrown in prison. He's thrown in a dungeon. His family betrays him. His family betrays him. He is completely abandoned. And, And Jeremiah... Um, and you think, well, Jeremiah's a prophet. Um, surely he endured and was patient without grumbling, right? Listen to this, Jeremiah fifteen eighteen. Why, this is Jeremiah talking to the Lord. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me, uh, the you there is God, God, will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Whoa. Hmm. So, so he gives the example, be, he says, don't grumble, be like Jeremiah, and then you, if you know, you look and you go, whoa, Jeremiah, that's on the verge of grumbling a little bit, right? Right. So or is it? I think there's a fine line there. Uh, I'd love to hear what Kyle thinks on this too. I think there's a fine line here between uh, grumbling and crying out because we, we heard that in earlier in chapter five where, where those who are uh, struggling because of the rich and what they're doing to them have cried out to God. So is that grumbling or, or not? I think it's, it's not like what he's saying here. I don't think it's grumbling. I think you, you make a distinction there. And I was, I was talking through this with Kyle this week and I was saying, you know, I think it has a lot to do with how God is involved in uh, the way that we're speaking, okay? So uh, if you go through the Psalms, you'll see that. You'll see this, many of the psalmists will, will say things like, God, what are you doing here? Where are you at? I feel empty. I feel like the, the evil person has the upper hand constantly. And so it feels a little bit like grumbling, but, but here's the catch. God's always in the middle of it. He hasn't been removed from the conversation. Hmm. And I think that's where we get into trouble when, when we turn our backs on God and we start grumbling like he's not there at all. Because that's what the people of Israel did in the book of Exodus. When you hear, that's, I, think, I think of that book when I think of people grumbling. In the book of Exodus, the people are constantly grumbling. And what it shows us in that book is that the people have just forgotten about God. He's just rescued them in this great miracle to bring them out of slavery. And they start grumbling like he has no power. And in Jeremiah's words there, and in many of the psalmist's words, when they speak those things to God, I think it's not a, you know, a lack of faith in the power of God, but it's just a, a, like a curiosity. God, are you actually going to come through? I know you're powerful enough, but will you? Yeah. And I think uh, God's okay with those questions. Yeah. He can handle those kind of questions when we bring those to them to him. But, but where we get in trouble 
is if we just turn our back on God and say, he's forgotten me. Like the reason I'm in this situation is because, you know, like he's punishing me or something like that. And we take him out of the equation. And that's where like our lives start drifting a whole different direction, in my opinion. Yeah. And just so you know, Jeremiah is not drifting. He also wrote these words. Lamentations. Uh, chapter 3, he says the steadfast love, so the same guy that says you're going to be like a deceitful brook, Mm -hmm. writes the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. So there is this in, in Jeremiah, this unwavering believe God's going God's gonna to come through even in the questioning. So, no, I was going to say, uh, to capture all of the prophets, I'm looking to the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Pretty good spot to uh, go to. <laughs> talking about all of them, it says, uh, 1137, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. And in all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So even they, they were suffered, they were mistreated. The world wasn't worthy of them, though, the way they were mistreated and the way they spoke on behalf of the Lord. But in all these, though commended, they didn't receive what was promised. And it's, it's saying that even they were longing for that day, the coming of the Lord, when it would all come to fruition, it would all come to completion. Right, right. And, and the idea that if you do God's will yeah. and you're speaking up for the Lord, that everything's going to go great for you, what would you say to that? I know yeah, what if, I would say, if but I. Someone is, is preaching to you that you're, as a Christian, you're going to have this great life. Uh, you are. They're right. You're going to have a great life. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest. Now, hold that thought there for a second because it's not the way we would maybe picture it. Life to the fullest is where we experience a relationship with the God who created us. That's what makes it full, Mm. that we know this God who made everything. But this life that is life to the fullest may involve dying. It may, be, yes. it may involve being sawn in two, as Hebrews says. Some, some suffering. It may involve suffering at whatever level we may receive it. Uh, so if you hear someone promising life different than that, that's not what the Bible says, right. is what I would say. And so a, a guy named Malcolm Muggeridge uh, wrote uh, these words. He says, as an old man, looking back on one's life, it's one of the things that strikes you most forcibly, that the only thing that's taught one anything is suffering. Not success, not happiness, not anything like that. The only thing that really teaches one what life's about is suffering, affliction. Supposing you eliminated suffering, what a dreadful place the world would be. Now think about that sentence. Suppose you eliminated suffering, what a dreadful place the world would be. I would almost rather eliminate happiness. The world would be the most ghastly place because everything that corrects the tendency of this unspeakable little creature, man, 
to feel over-important and over-pleased with himself would disappear. He's bad enough now, but he would be absolutely intolerable if he never suffered. Um, I, we talked about this morning. Yeah. We couldn't say that, yeah. but, but this guy can. Yeah. And so, um, the, but suffering is a great schoolroom. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm about to ask. This is a great question. I'm glad Kyle's here. If you didn't know, if you didn't know, we take questions. Oh, here we go. And I saw it first. So. You guys text my phone, not Vic's, please. <laughs> uh, how do we, I'm just going to go ahead and ask, how do we pray prayers of lamentation? Uh, I know the text in Lamentations 3 is the center, really the purpose of the book. How do we take that point into the truth, into our prayers when we are suffering? When is complaining in prayer lamentation versus grumbling? Mm -hmm. This is a fantastic mm -hmm. question. I think it's the direction of the complaining. So with what yeah. Joel said earlier, yeah. the, the Lord hears the cries of the harvesters and responds. He knows they're oppressed. He knows they're victimized. And he wants to be just and be fair and be a good judge. Uh, and then here, don't grumble. So the difference between crying and grumbling. With yeah. what Joel was saying earlier through the Psalms, there's so often that the psalmists are crying out to the Lord. Yeah. And that crying out isn't showing a lack of faith. It's actually showing the depth of their faith because when you approach your dad with a desperate problem, you're showing him that you believe he can actually deal with it yeah. and he can actually answer it. When you complain about him, that's when you're showing that you lack faith in him. So when you think about the farmer, huh. they're gonna keep plowing and, that and they, they may cry while they plow, they may wonder where the <laughs> rain is, but they still believe it's coming. But the person who quits is the person who really doesn't have faith. So the fact that the Psalms exist, hmm. as disheartening as they are, shows that they really believe the Lord would answer those cries. And that's why they cried to him. It shows, it's like when you have a really good relationship with somebody, like the fact that you bring things to them. And I, I would say the way to sum it up is, those who, sorry, complaining about God is a sign of a heathen. Complaining to God is a sign of his people. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Say that again. That's yeah. worth repeating. Y'all should write that I, down. I, That's I was good. trying to say it, like, and then he just like said it perfectly how I was trying to Wait, say, say it. Wait, say it so. again. That's good. Complaining about God is a sign of a heathen. Complaining to God mm -hmm. is a sign of his people. That, that's, you could yeah. probably just take the rest of the morning off. Yeah, after that. We appreciate that. That's good, bro. I stole it. it, it <laughs> that's what you don't tell them. <laughs> that is. That's the. That's the whole point of the Psalms. Is that that they're speaking to God and that there's they're holding out hope still. And I mean, because this is a great question that somebody just texted me. What if we need a break? What if we've been suffering and hurting, mm. and if we need comfort and it <sighs> isn't coming? And I in no way make light of that question, but, and this is, we'll get to this when we close too, but the whole light of this text is not that your fortunes are going to be restored, your health's going to come back. It's that the Lord is coming. And that's a really hard truth. But again, Hebrews 11, they were tortured, they were sawn in two, they were murdered, they were yeah. destitute. The Lord is coming. So we're really not yeah. looking for answers in this life, as hard as that is. And let me read Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And that's what James is telling us to do. Look to Jesus. Yeah. Look to him, and he's the one who endured 
from sinners such hostility against themselves so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And I, and I think it, this is a good place to move to the third example. Yeah. And the third example he gives us is Job. Um, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. So if, if you don't know the story of Job, it's, it's crazy. He loses mm-hmm. his kids, his wealth, his health. He's left no, with nothing but a wife who, who complains and actually tells him to curse God and die at one point. Job is a man who has, uh, and, and by the way, Job doesn't know why any of this happens. Uh, the, the way it happens, if you don't know the story, is Satan comes to God and says, hey, let me have a run at Job. And God gives permission for that to happen, but he tells Satan, you have to leave him alive. And he does everything short of killing him. And, and Job suffers. He's never told why. And Job has these moments, just like Jeremiah. There are a lot of... Chapter 6 of Job, by the way, is a, is a, is a PhD in how to, how to grumble. Or maybe cry out. You decide. You read it and you tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing about Job is he never lets go of this, what, what's in his heart that, that he, uh, in fact, he says in Job 121, when his wife says, curse God and die, he says, shall we receive good from the Lord and not bad? Yep. And the, the writer of Job says, in all this, Job did not sin. And, and Job runs through all of this trouble. And then in, uh, you have this expression in Job 19. Uh, flip over to Job. If you go left in your Bible, if you get to Psalms, you're almost there. Keep going left. Uh, Psalm 19, uh, Job 19, not Psalm 19. 25. Now think about this. This is a man has gone through great suffering. The Lord has been silent so far. And he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Patience. Job is suffering. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. And then when you get to the end of Job, real quick, let's flip over to the end of Job. I'll share some stuff with you, and then I'll turn it back over to these guys. So God finally answers Job, and it is amazing. He, he says things to Job like, hey, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Uh, I do. Like this, it's, it's God's resume for chapter after chapter. And, and then Job, at the end, responds to God. Job 42 one. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that has counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes." So Job acknowledges that God is in control. He acknowledges that he has run his mouth when he shouldn't have. 
without all the information, without any understanding. He asked God for wisdom. And in verse five, he says, I, I have heard, but now I have seen. Through the suffering, through the, through the hardship, I have seen that you are good, and I despise myself, and I repent. And there is a humility in Job, at the end of Job, that sets him up uh, for really what we all long for, mm-hmm. relationship to be restored with the God of the universe. And so that's where Job is after the confession there in Job. And, and it ties into, so James says, you know, same language in James, you, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the Lord's purposes. Yeah, in all of these analogies, you know, Joel said earlier, they're different shades of the same color. They're all saying patience, steadfastness in different ways. Like a farmer, expect that it's gonna come in season. Keep your hand on the plow. Like the prophets, keep speaking in the name of the Lord and don't be perplexed when trials come because mm-hmm. the Lord said they're gonna come. Yeah. You're gonna be misheard. You're gonna be mistreated. And then like Job, see your treasure as the Lord and mm-hmm. in the end. And I think the tie between all three of these analogies or these uh, examples is the treasure or the hope was all fixated in what came in the end. You yeah. know, for the farmer, it's that the fruit is in the earth and it comes in its season. For the prophets, they died without seeing any kind of fruit. So it was the coming of the Lord that will come much later. With Job, it was in the end, in the muck and mire, seeing the Lord and him restoring what Job had lost. Right. Yeah, it's funny. You just summed up and several things, and then it was like the way I summed it up was a little different. I said, for the farmer, we learn that we must leave things in God's hands. From the prophets, we learn we're not guaranteed a good life. And from Job, we learn that God knows our plight, but there's a day coming when he will restore all things. There's so much richness here in, in these examples, but let me say this too. There's examples around you too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was moved by this morning, uh, that there's, he switches over to use the word steadfast. So he said, be patient uh, to start off in verse seven. And then in verse 11, he says, consider those blessed who remain steadfast. He switches over to steadfast. Patience uh, has a lot to do with how we deal with other people. And so that was how the church was dealing with the people who were oppressing them. And steadfastness has to do with uh, the actual situations that crop up in our lives. Steadfastness carries this idea of until the end. Hmm. Someone's remained steadfast when they've made it to the end. And you, if, if you've been around other believers, I know some of you haven't, some of you are brand new to like what, who Christians are, but we have this great heritage. Hebrews 11 is a chapter you can read about some of that heritage of people who remain until the end. But then today, mm. in church today, I'm sitting there uh, as we're singing in, in the, our first service, and I'm looking out into a certain place where this couple sits every Sunday. And I, I know them a little bit. Uh, but she received a diagnosis this week of stage three lung cancer. And every week she sits there, and every week I see her hands go up. You know, the psalmists say, when we sing songs, if you're wondering, like, why do people raise their hands? Because the psalmists say, raise your hands in praise. Just like if you're at a football game and you're like, woo. Right? And every week I see her, she's one of those people who raises her hands in praise. 
And guess what she was doing this week after she got that diagnosis? I was, I was zoned in. I was like, how do you handle something like this when, when you know that this is huge and heavy? And I see her husband with his arm around her, and he's weeping, and she's weeping, and her arms are lifted in praise. That's what we're called to do. Because the king is coming, and he will set it right. And that's where our hope is. Can I add one last? Yeah. Uh, to close, I would say the, the contrast in hearts. In that first passage, 5, 1 through 6, uh, he says, you fatten your hearts in a day of slaughter. But then in 7 through 11, he says, establish your hearts. So he's mm. talking to this group. You fattened your hearts. You've lived in luxury and in the pleasures of this world. But then to you, but establish your hearts. I know you're oppressed. I know you're suffering. And just what I want to say is like, the point of this text is not to long for suffering. You know, so, so if you're not in that boat of suffering or understanding what it's like to wait for the Lord, don't, don't feel like you have to be. Uh, but it is saying long for the Lord because the rich are not longing for the Lord. They should weep and howl because he's coming and their riches are rotten and their garments are moth-eaten. But it's about the reason we open with that question is what do you long for? Because the reason to be patient completely lies in what you're longing for. If, if you don't have this hope that Christ is coming back to judge and to rescue us, I really don't think you have a reason to be patient. I hope you wouldn't leave here and say, well, I won't fight with my kids today. You know, like, without Christ, there's no reason to be patient. Yeah. We, we watch the prophets die. We watch Job lose everything, and it's in that place that he realizes how sufficient the Lord is, and then it's only when the Lord comes That's and right. he sees the Lord. So, no, if, you, if you're not longing for the Lord, don't be patient. You don't have a reason to be. You're, we're like the rich, and we should be weeping and howling. So the, the message is long for the Lord. Old worship songs used to teach this more, like old hymns. It is well. They, they all end with him coming back. That's what I was going to say to you. Just make it real practical for us. How do you long for the Lord? How do you establish your hearts? How do you move towards this? What's, what's a practical thing people can do? You can make a practice of fasting. You know, and you get into that in a ton of other places. But occasionally go without a meal or something you need and let your stomach remind you that mm -hmm. the way I grumble for food, I really need the Lord more. Do what yeah. Jesus did. And he said, I don't live by bread alone. I live by every word that comes yeah. from his mouth. So fast and pray is probably the most practical That's thing. Awesome. Yeah, very good. That's good. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, just the, the, the practical wisdom of James and the examples of James, of the farmer, and of the prophets, and of Job, and, and the reminders that uh, the farmers, the prophets, and Job were all fallible humans who, who had moments of doubt, just like us, but we have a king who is coming who was not like us truly human, truly God, who came in our place to live the life we couldn't live, die the death we should have died, so that we could hope and look forward to his return when he would judge the wicked and vindicate the righteous. And so, Father, I pray today you would examine, you would help us examine the longing of our heart. What are we looking to? What are we looking forward to? Ultimately, if it is not your return, and you setting up your kingdom, then Lord, I pray you would do the work you have to do in our hearts to make that be what we long for.
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.